your future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as He wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. Well, good morning. I welcome you to Seacoast. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or online, uh, our online family, also those in this building, in the chapel, the warehouse, out in the foyer, wherever you are. We're glad that you're along with us. My name's Greg Surratt. I'm the founding pastor, or what's known affectionately now as the bald pastor. Um, for those of you who don't know, you look all right. You look like the Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. But, uh, those of you who don't know, I shaved my head a few weeks ago to identify with my daughter uh, who has cancer. And be praying for her. She's got surgery in the next probably three weeks, I think. And um, I didn't realize, those of you who are bald, how cold your head could be. And uh, that's why I wear a hat all the time. And uh, then somebody helpfully told me, last week I wore a turtleneck, like a mock turtleneck, you know. And they said, uh, you look like a roll-on deodorant. And uh, so, so I don't know, you know, whatever. I know I'm using a whole lot more toothpaste and less shampoo these days. You know, we're saving money there. But anyway, so we're in a series called Vintage. And we're redigging some wells. There's a story in the Old Testament. In fact, I tell you what, I've reread that story. We're going to do it. I don't know where Josh is, but. We're doing another series on that subject. It is so deep, so good, and we've just barely skimmed it with this. But anyway, we're redigging wells is what we're doing. Some things that God has done among us in the last 30 years and important critical junctures in our church. And uh, this weekend, I wanna redig the well of worship. And I think it's one of the most important revelations that God has given to us in the last uh, 30 years. Before I do, I want to ask you a question. How many of you ever overreacted to anything? Anybody ever overreacted? Any testimonies of overreacting on the way to church today in the car? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We overreact. And, um, you know, maybe somebody cut you off, you know, in, in traffic, in good Christian person that you are. And, uh, you know, you start, you know, yelling and you uh, roll down your window and hang a finger out the window. And, and then you start screaming at the passenger in the car with you. Overreaction. Would you agree with that? Or maybe it's, you know, somebody says something about you at work or about your work or you or especially your kids and you just melt down. I mean, and there's a group of people around and you're melting down and you're, you know, it's, it's all about you and everybody's uncomfortable in the room. Have you ever been there? 
and it's an overreaction. Now here's what I know, is that overreactions seldom end well. It never makes the situation better, would you agree? Some people are external overreactors, everybody's gonna know, other people are internal overreactors. A lot of times internal overreactions are beating yourself up uh, externals are beating everybody else up. I don't know which is more healthy. Both of them are not good. Well, about 18 years into our ministry here at Seacoast, 13 years ago, um, I had an overreaction, and it happened right over here at Starbucks. I went to Starbucks to get a coffee, and a lady came up to me, and she said, uh, well, I'm glad you're here. I had a dream that you would be here today, and I said, okay. And she said, could we talk? And I said, sure. And she said, I, I need to ask you to forgive me for some things. Now here's what I should have done. I should have done like one of these Pope deals and done, sister, you are forgiven in Jesus' name, go. I think they do that with the right hand, but anyway, uh, I'm left-handed, you know, whatever. I could never be Pope, but so, so Catholics forgive me, please. There are, there are more Catholics in this church than any other background, and so just don't go picking on the Pope. But, it, but so, so I, I should have just said, great, but here's what I did. I, I said, what do I need to forgive you of? And then she gave me a litany of things that actually sounded more like what a creep I am. And you know, have you ever had one of those? Somebody wanted to clear the air and it was their fault, but it actually wasn't. In their mind, it was yours. And so she went through this whole list of stuff. And at the end of it, she said, you know what? Our family can't come to church here anymore. We're just not fed here. Which, by the way, don't say that to your pastor. Not a good thing. And uh, we're fed much better somewhere else. And then, oh, by the way, can I pray for you? This is where the overreaction started on my part. <laughs> I held it internally, even though it was an external overreaction. That will tear you up on the inside. Because my ears started getting red. I started getting mad. I started thinking of words that I hadn't used in years. I thought they were under the blood, all this kind of stuff. My fingers are twitching, all this kind of thing. And finally, I just said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, I wasn't fine. And here's what's interesting is that, and this happens in overreactions, it wasn't the situation that caused it. It was the situation that revealed it, okay? There are triggers. There are things people say or do or whatever circumstances that will, that will trigger an action. But uh, when, when it's an overreaction, when there's, when, there's, when your reaction is bigger than whatever it is, it just reveals there's a problem. There's a problem, and in me, the problem that day was, was spiritual dryness and emptiness. And I was kind of aware of it, but I really wasn't till that revealed it. I was spiritually dry. And you know what? Um, that day, I desperately needed to experience the presence of God. Look at this verse, Psalm 16 and verse 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. When I lack joy, oftentimes it's because I'm not in his presence. Now, you can be in God's presence, have circumstances going crazy, have triggers here, there, and everywhere, and you know you get angry every once in a while, but there's not this overreaction because there is a sense of joy, purpose, whatever it happens to be. It's bigger than you, it's bigger than me. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy that doesn't make sense sometimes. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's what I did. 
I went on a six-month journey. I know it would be six months, but a six-month journey to experience God's presence. And I found it in some surprising places. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take you on a story, on a journey right now of, um, of where we, uh, I wanna, I wanna call this message uh, Redigging Wells of Worship and kind of where we've come from in worship up to this point and where we're going to in the future, all right? So six months and found God in some unique places. First place was in Iona, Scotland. Anybody ever been to Iona, Scotland? Anybody? One person over here? It's at the edge of the world, it really is. How I ended up there was uh, I was doing some teaching with John Maxwell on leadership. I was doing it mostly in India, but they had a, uh, a, a situation where a speaker couldn't do what they needed to do, and so they said, could you come to Scotland? I said, sure, I'll, I'll come. And so we did some leadership teaching in Scotland, and then we had a day off, and one of the guys that was there said, hey, are you up for an adventure on our day off in Scotland? And I said, well, if it doesn't involve face painting or wearing skirts, I said, I'm in. Let's see what we can do. And so he took me to the edge of the world, it felt like. In fact, we spent the night in a bed and breakfast. And the next morning, we had to go across, I don't even know what the body of water was, out to this island of Iona, which Iona is where Christianity came to Europe. It came, came from Ireland. They had a church planting group with a bunch of monks in Ireland, and you can trace it. And Christianity came from Ireland out to all over Europe. And Iona was where it first came to, to Europe. And this island has monastery on it. But the problem was that day, there were gale force winds, 40 mile an hour winds. And, and so you had to go in a ferry in order to get there. And it, it was raining, it was dreary, it was terrible. We lined up, there were only like five people in line to go. The ferry captain said, I can get you there. I don't know if I can get you back. The other three people left, and it's me and my buddy on an adventure for Jesus, okay? And uh, so we went over to Iona, here's a Celtic cross, it's kind of a cool place, but, and I got a picture later in the day, there was some sun that peeked through, but here's a monastery in the background, and this is a, a, a graveyard that has, I think, 60 or 70 kings buried there, kings of England and Scotland and Norway and all, just, just all over down through the centuries. And this is a little chapel. It's actually just an empty building, a little chapel in the graveyard. We gotta understand it was raining, raining hard. So I slipped into here. My buddy went into the monastery. I slipped into the chapel to get out of the rain. Now, when I, I got in, in there, this is what I saw. In the corner, there was a cross. And there was one other person in the, in the room. I had no idea when I went in. It was a lady and she was at the cross and she penned one of these two notes, I can't remember which one, to the cross. <clears throat> and I sensed the presence and power of God in the room. I really did. Wow, God's here. And so when she left, I went over to try to read what she wrote. And uh, it was a different language. Evidently, it was between her and God. But uh, may have been Gaelic. I, I don't know. I have no idea what it was. But, but God's presence was there. And I just kind of filed it away. thought, okay, God was here. Uh, later that year, um, I was gonna teach in uh, India. And so back then, in order to get to India, you had to uh, land somewhere. You had to go to like Frankfurt, Germany, or London, catch another plane. And I said, I've never been to Paris before. So I grabbed one of my golfing buddies, and we had a romantic weekend in Paris, just he and I, and uh, stayed in a little bed and breakfast, and we went and visited the Notre Dame Cathedral. Anybody ever been there? 
Notre Dame Cathedral. Now, a lot of people say you ought to put the sign Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed from there, because it used to be a place where now it's basically a museum, okay? But in this museum of worship, there were some candles, and there was a, a group of ladies that were over, and they were lighting candles, and, uh, and I was suddenly drawn to there. And so I went over and acted like I was a part of them. I'm kind of like the guy, so, some people are like this, if they didn't invite you to the party, they just forgot. Okay, so you're, you're part of the party. So I'm thinking, I'm part of the party. I came over here, there's tears, there's all kinds of things going on. I'm thinking, the presence of God is here. I didn't even know what it meant. I just notched it down and, and went on, moved on. A little bit later, um, I w- was invited uh, by a pastor uh, to a church where they took communion every week, and it was kind of a special part of what they did. Now, you have to understand communion at Seacoast at that point was a little haphazard. Uh, we, you know, uh, the Bible says, uh, uh, as often you take remembrance, or do communion, do it in remembrance of me. Well, we didn't remember to do communion very often, okay? But when we did, uh, as a church grew, it became it just took a large part of the service. You know, you'd have to pass around, in our tradition, you'd pass around these, you know, these pans full of, you know, stuff and wafers and all of this kind of thing. It took a while. And so we went to a Promise Keeper event. Anybody ever been to Promise Keepers, guys? In state, they used to fill stadiums, you know. And we discovered Instamunion at one of those. And it's all, it's a communion all in one little cup. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's got the wafer inside right here. And you take off, uh, a, uh, a layer of, uh, I don't know, something. Listen to it. You, you take that off, and then you, uh, and I can remember we were using these one time, and Michael Morris, our tall pastor that's in the chapel right now, uh, he was leading, and he's emotional, and he's, anytime you talk about Jesus, he cries, you know. He's up here crying about the body of Christ, and he cannot for the life of him get this thing open. <laughs> Pretty soon he said, I can't get the communion thing open. Yeah. But once you do get it open, the prize in here is this little wafer that tastes like a, a styrofoam cup. And uh, it's nasty. And, and then we started using styrofoam cups. And I, I asked somebody this weekend, I said, what is up with that? I said, well, it saves money. Well, let me tell you something. You guys need to give more money so we can get, get rid of these styrofoam deals or whatever. Yeah. You don't have to give more money. We'll just figure it out. But anyway, so... Then you open this up, and it, you just lose the joy of Jesus when you use these things right here. And so I went to this church, and they served communion every week, had kind of a little you know, process about it, and I experienced the presence and power of Jesus. Didn't know anything about it, don't know what it meant, but just kind of tucked it away. And then uh, about the same time, I went to a friend's church that they're, they're uh, uh, kind of... Uh, Tradition was an altar call. You know, always have an altar call. I've never been good at altar calls. You know, Billy Graham does altar calls, or did, used to. He's dead now, but the, uh, great man. But he did altar calls. And I'd see stadiums come out. And I remember as a kid thinking, I could do that. And I would give altar calls. In the early years of our church, nobody. Crickets. Anybody need Jesus? No, we're fine. How about healing? Good. You know, and so I never did altar calls because it, it was fruitless. It was me and you know, like uh, me. And so <laughs> just as I am, we, I don't care how many times we sang it, nobody would come. They liked just as they were. They liked it fine that way. Some of you Baptists know what I'm talking about there. 
And uh, so anyway, they had an altar call, and I thought, man, I'm empty. I'm gonna go. And guy laid his hands on my head like this, and I experienced the presence and power of Jesus. And so, so all of this is happening within about a six-month period. And then um, sometime in May of 2006, here was our tradition here, is we did the same thing every other mega church in America does. You go to them, they all do the same thing. Sing four songs at the beginning, you have announcements, and then the preacher preaches, and then you have an offering at the end. And that's what we would do. And so during the offering time, I would sit back, I'd get done preaching, I'd sit back in the sound booth. And I'm sitting in the sound booth in May of 2006, and I open up my Bible, and this is the scripture that I read. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Israel. He's not talking about bad people. It's just pretty kind of dead worship, you know. And, but I thought, that sounds like me. It really does. It sounds like our church a little bit. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. They're trying to do the best they can with the rules that they know, okay? Then he said, therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. It was like the Lord was saying to me, if you'll allow it, you've seen responses to me that have moved your heart. If you will allow the people to respond, I will astonish you with the worship. And so I got up and announced the next week that June 17th and 18th, Father's Day, would be the most significant weekend in the story of our church. People came, they thought that there was, I was gonna resign or something. You know, this is gonna be big news. And um, I preached a message called Secrets of Life Every Worshiper Should Know. And I talked about worship as a response to God. It's where the response stations got their start. Worship as a response to God. I had a friend uh, that was caught speeding on the way to a speaking event. And, uh, and so the cop pulled him over, he's definitely guilty. And so he thought about the consequences of what he had done while waiting on the officer to come to his door. You ever had that happen? That's the longest walk in the world. Well, you know, there are lights, your heart, you're parked, hoping nobody sees you that you know. And um, I got stopped at the front of my neighborhood one time. And it was like, oh boy, I'm just gonna duck down like this as if you don't recognize my car, you know? And, but he, he said, as, as he was thinking about consequences. He'd be late to preach. Um, insurance would go up. He'd have to explain it to his wife. Poor example to his kids. Don't do what I do. Just do what I say kind of thing. Yeah, would anybody he know come by while he was waiting? The officer said, What's the first question, officer? I got a lot of friends in here who are officers. What's the first question? How fast were you going? Why do you ask that question? It's an opportunity for me to lie. I don't know. You know probably about 20, 25, something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, and the officer said, where, where are you going in such a hurry? And he explained. Now, my friend fully expected justice. What would justice have been? A four-point ticket. It's what he expected. What he wanted was mercy. What is mercy? Careless driving, drop it to two points. How many of you know, you got that story. Maybe a little community service, right? Right? And, uh, and uh, the policeman tore up the ticket. Said, I'll escort you to your destination. My friend said he felt like kissing him right on the lips in a non-sexual kind of way. <laughs> Why? Because he had received grace. Grace, not just mercy, grace, something he didn't deserve. And he was blown away by that. 
Now, the Bible says each of us was caught speeding. How many violators, how many sinners do we have in the room? Real quick, sinners, sinners. Oh my, this is a scary building right here. <laughs> room full of sinners, all right? So here's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is what? The ultimate four-pointer, right? Now, we're all sinners. We're hoping for a little mercy. Drop the penalty a little bit, do a little community service. In fact, I know lots and lots of people out there that are doing lots of community service, doing good things, hoping that it will offset the bad things that they do so that at the end, in the judgment, it'll kind of add up. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? That's what we're doing. But that's not how it works. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, say gift together, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God sends his son to take the penalty for our sins. That's called grace, more than I deserve. And when you think about that, a response starts to well up, a response. Almost like my friend wanting to kiss the officer. A response wells up because you are blown away by grace. Now, one of the ways you know somebody loves you is to measure their response to you. Would you agree with that? Okay, like when you're dating, some of you are dating right now for like the second or third time in your life or some of you way back, way back, you remember when you were dating back about the time Noah landed the ark. <laughs> and, and here's what you would do. You would, you kind of sneak a look and their eyes would connect. And then unless you're really creepy, you would look away real quick. Then you'd come back and if their eyes connected, you go, oh, there might be something. Here. There was a response. Or here's how you do it if you're spiritual. Of course, it's, it's you know, you, you get your dating app, all that kind of thing. I know that, but some of these things are all the same. You go to a small group, you know, at the end of the small group, they always hold hands to pray. So you position yourself <laughs> next to somebody you wanna hold hands with, all right? And so they pray and you squeeze their hand. And if they squeeze back, woo ho there's a response. There's a response. Uh, Debbie, uh, when, first time I dated her, I took her to a, it was Halloween, so I took her to the scariest haunted house in Denver because I wanted to hold her hand. I want a response. Come on, squeeze that hand. You know what I'm saying? God initiates with us, and then we respond. Look, I stand at the door and knock. Initiation, knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, response, response. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So that weekend I explained to the church that while I was sitting back in the sound booth after speaking, I sensed that God wanted us to respond to his love in a more physical way. Now I was nervous about this, I really was. I didn't know what, what exactly this would look like. Wanted to be done in kind of a seacoast style, whatever that, that was. But God showed me a picture of the church responding to his love if I would just give him a chance. And that's where we moved into response time. Now what I wanna do is I wanna lay out, I've got six points, normally I have three, it's not gonna take that long. The first one we're gonna spend a little bit more time with, the next five will kinda blaze through. But uh, how, we, how do we respond to God's love and why do we do it that way? Number one, we respond by singing our praise to God. This is the hardest thing for some people to get. Because there is, almost no other place in society where you come into a room full of people that you don't know and sing together. You know, maybe a Broadway play or, you know, whatever. But, but in church, we spend a significant time singing, and some of us are just not very good at that, okay? 
I'm one of those. I'm not all that good at, at singing. Why do we do that? See, music and love go together because music comes from the heart. It's not something you do intellectually. It comes from your emotions. If it's really good, it's called soul music. You, somebody's got soul. It, it, just, it just comes from someplace deep inside. There are a lot of love songs in the world. There are whole stations that are devoted to love songs. Did you know that there are more love songs written about Jesus than any other topic in history? Christianity is a singing religion. Why? Because it's about a love affair. It's about a God who loves you so much that he sent his son and he wants you to love him back. Look at this verse. It says, sing out your thanks. Doesn't just say, say out your thanks. It says, sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God. Well, that weekend, 13 years ago, we messed a bunch of people up because there were, there were a significant group of people who would come late for the service because they didn't dig the singing. It's honest. And so they'd come mainly for the preaching. So what we did is we put all the singing on the back end. They came in, I'm already preaching. My God, what's happened? There were we late here. Messed people up. Because we wanted to use worship as a response to God. And so uh, we, we come in here to experience the presence and power of God. There's a great old, old Testament story in Exodus chapter 16 and 19. Context, God has poured out his grace on Israel. He's delivered them from Egyptian bondage, slavery, captivity, and you know, done some miracles. And they go through the Red Sea, the sea parts. Israel goes through. Uh, Pharaoh's guys are chasing them. The water comes down. You know the story. And on the other side, the prophetess Miriam grabs a tambourine. And she begins to sing and dance before the people. It's first corporate worship service. And she says, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. We used to have a song that we would do in worship that was that, that particular verse. And then a, a few uh, chapters later, they come to, j just a few days, they come to Mount Sinai and uh, chapter 19. And look at this. It, this is a massive encounter with God, worship service. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you, and then they will always trust you. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled, and Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. This is, they're gonna worship God, they're gonna have a worship service. And they stood at the foot of the mountain, and all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because of the Lord had descended on it out of fire, the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. Wouldn't it have been incredible to be there? Let me tell you what you did not hear, what you would not have heard that day. You know, I think we're gonna take our family and go to another mountain next year, next week. So we don't like this mountain. I don't really like the songs that they're singing here. We, didn't, we don't sing that tambourine song anymore. We used to sing it all the time. I like that one. We didn't sing it this week. Besides that, the ram's horns are way too loud. Way, way too loud. Did you see the harp player that was wearing a hat during worship? I mean, what's up with that? Did you see that backup singer? She had a tattoo the size of Pharaoh's pyramid. That's not right. 
You know what? I wish Aaron was leading worship today. I like Aaron's worship a whole lot more than Miriam. What's up with all the smoke and lights? That's really distracting me from worship. I don't like it when Miriam dances. Can you believe how long this thing is lasting? I don't think that was their response. What do you think? Never forget, gang, never forget that when we gather on the weekend, it's not to keep score. It's not about what I like or don't like. When we come to church on the weekend, it's about encountering a holy God. One of the songs that we sang at this campus at least was that when the presence of the God is in, in the house, anything can happen. And that's what it's about. The same God that shook their world holds our world in the palms of his hands. He sent his son to die so that you and I can have life. That's called grace. You can't be casual about grace. It demands fully involved worship. Look at this. Psalm 66 and verse one says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. That's your job. That's my job. Doesn't matter how good you are. That doesn't matter. I mean, it matters whether you get on stage or not. We want you to at least be able to hold the tune. But it doesn't matter out there. It says, make God's praise glorious. Glorious. That's what we do. I've been to churches where people just go through the motions. They're bored. They're preoccupied. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4. I don't know why they never sing verse 3. Never. Don't even write verse 3. Just whatever. Or you can be singing choruses or whatever you do and just kind of, you know, just kind of putting our time in. Don't do that. Don't drift. Don't wait for something cool to happen. Just engage right away. Engage. The God who made the mountain shake and thunder roar, the knees of men and women tremble. That's the God we worship. That's awesome. And so we sing in response to our love for God and his love for me. Second thing we do is we respond by confessing our sins to him. Now, we've already established that we are a house full of sinners, okay? Some of you didn't raise your hands when I said how many sinners there are. This verse is for you. <laughs> if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <laughs> We're all sinners, right? Every one of us are sinners. And there are a lot of people these days wandering around doing community service hoping to be forgiven. I'm hoping that the good things that I do will outweigh the bad things that I do. And when I come to the end of my life, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, but that's not how it works. Look at this, look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All you gotta do is recognize you're a sinner. Listen, God can't forgive, um, uh, I had a good line there, but I don't remember what it is. Excuses. God can't forgive excuses. He forgives confession. And there's not a question of whether he'll forgive us or not. Don't worry about that. I was praying with somebody just recently, last service. Um, I'm hoping God will forgive me. Uh, no, 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 time out. God has forgiven you in Jesus. All, your responsibility, just confess your sin. Just confess your sin and he'll forgive you. And, and nearly every week, people do that around here. For the first time, they confess their sin and they become a part of God's family. God wasn't even on your radar a year ago. And now you can't get enough of him. I love that about this church. But you know what? We all sin during the week. Maybe 
somebody does us wrong or you know, we, we have an overreaction or, or whatever, and, and we ought to just pause and confess our sins, but sometimes we have a hard time believing that God will forgive us like the lady I prayed for. And that's why, as a part of our response time, we have crosses in every auditorium because sometimes we need a, kind of a visual reminder of what the scripture says. And Colossians 2 and verse 14 says, he canceled the record of the charges against us. That's our, what, the wages of death. And he took it away by what? By nailing it to the cross. And so every week we'll say, listen, if, uh, if you've sinned, you've got a confession of sin, or maybe there's a worry issue, whatever, take it to the cross, and when you do it, reminds you that God has already chosen to forgive you. All you have to do is just confess it. Don't hide it, don't excuse it, but confess it. There's something about the physical act. So we respond to grace by singing our praises, confessing our sin. Third thing we do is we respond to, to God by praying for others, by praying for others. The Bible calls this, and theologians call it intercessory prayer. You ever heard the word intercessory prayer? Do you know where that comes from? Look at this. First Timothy 2 and verse 1. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Now, we'll tell you, we'll categorize the people in just a minute. Ask God to help them. That's what you pray for them for. Intercede on their behalf. Say that together. Intercede on their behalf. That's intercessory prayer. That's interceding for somebody else on their behalf. You pray for them and give thanks for them, okay? So who do we pray for? Friends and family, so obvious. Bear one another's needs, burdens. This way you obey the law of Christ. At Seacoast, we do that with candles. There's nothing like magical about candles. They're just a point of interaction, but magical things can happen in the midst. I know um, uh, Jenny, who we're praying for with, uh, with cancer right now, well, a few years ago, they had infertility issues for years. Her and Ben wanted kids, wanted kids. So many things happened, so many things happened. And so Debbie and I, without telling anybody else, we would go and we would light a candle. She had uh, artificial insemination. We did it in a godly way. And, and we, would, we knew that there were potential twins inside of her. And so we would go and we'd each light two candles. And we would cry. There wasn't anything magical there, but magical things happened there as we connected with God and prayed for our family. And God answered those prayers. Pray for people in authority. Say, I don't wanna pray for, I don't like them. Well, it doesn't matter. Look at this. Pray this way for kings, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or independents, or even Bernie Sanders. And all who are in authority, <laughs> I didn't mean anything by that, I just thought it was funny at the time. <laughs> so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. It doesn't matter who's in authority. I mean, it does in a sense, you ought to vote but you pray for them regardless. You don't, you don't follow the cue of the world and say nasty things about whoever's in authority. Just check yourself on that. That's why you need to go to the cross periodically. But you pray for people in authority, okay? And then here's the fun one. Pray for people who don't like you, okay? Look at, Jesus calls this graduate level prayer. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Huh? Yeah, you gotta do that every once in a while. Watch this. What do you pray for? You pray, go back to the scripture. First of all, pray for all people, those levels. Ask God to help them. What if I don't want God to help them? This person is awful, I don't want God to help them. Well, then you go back to the cross 
You fill out a little piece of paper and you repent, then you go back and pray again. If you still feel the same way, do another loop. See, that's, that's how this whole thing works. Let's go to the cross. If somebody's going back and forth, candles and cross, you know they're having an issue, okay? It's fine. The fourth thing we do is we respond by receiving communion, okay? Don't have a lot of time to spend on this. In fact, I'm out of time. But communion is simply recognizing that Jesus died so you can live. So we do it every week. And believers should be taking communion. Not an option. If you're a believer, receive communion because it's a reminder that grace is free, but it's not cheap. Somebody paid for your sin, all right? And then the fifth thing we do is we respond by giving our offerings to him. There's all kind of scripture on that. We claim Matthew, Malachi 3.10, that uh, God blesses tithers. Test him on that. We issue 90-day challenges all the time. Try it, see if he, see if he doesn't uh, bless you in it. Pastors will ask me when they find out that we do our offerings uh, in offering boxes and sometimes we even forget to mention it, like I did last week when I was dismissing people from one of the services. They say, how in the world do you pay your bills? I say, well, our people don't give out of guilt. They give as a response to God's love and and God does great things through that. And then the sixth thing we do is we respond by asking others to pray for us. Others to pray for us. Look at this. It says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, that mean that uh, you know, sin is the reason for your sickness. It says, hey, just add it extra. You will be forgiven. Now, I remember years ago, 13 years ago, thinking, this makes so much sense. People can respond to God in so many ways, and every week there are gonna be people who, who, need, who, who are sick that need prayer, and our elders pray, and then our elders oversee prayer teams that pray. I had no idea that 13 years later that God would visit us in the way that he's visited us in the last few weeks. I don't know why. If you're new to this church, just a few weeks ago we had a healing prayer service. And uh, since then there have been hundreds of people healed. Hundreds. Um, I wrote a paper on it. Love for all of you to see it. Um, there's a URL in your bulletin. You can take a look at that or you can go to um, our website uh, uh, what's going on, seacoast.org. But God is doing amazing things. Uh, last, last night, not last night, week ago last night, I was praying in the prayer lines and um, a girl came up to me, one of the first ones, and she's the daughter of one of my friends. And she's a mother, has several kids, and she has autoimmune disease and pain it comes from that. She could hardly walk that night. And uh, she came and she asked for prayer. I had two emotions. My first emotion was I was racked with compassion. It's like, my goodness, no wonder, no wonder God set up in his word that when people come together, there ought to be a time when they can be prayed for when they're sick. That was my first, just compassion. And then my second reaction was, wow, that's a big one. I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't have any magical power within me. And so I prayed for her. And uh, honestly, I didn't feel a thing. I prayed for several other people. 
Um, I didn't sleep much that night. Saturday night, I didn't sleep much because I was thinking about that. and thinking about just the, the need that people have and the unworthiness, at least in me, and there's whole prayer teams. And, and the next day, she texted me through Facebook. And she said, I just wanted to tell you, when you prayed, the minute you began to pray, the pain left immediately. She said, I was able to walk back to my seat. We may have a miracle. Her daddy texted me a couple of days later and said, we might be sitting on a miracle here. I began to check in with her every two days. Are you still healed? How you doing? What's going on? You know what she told me on Thursday? She said, no, not only am I still healed, she said, fear has been taken away. Fear has been taken away. I don't know why that happened and someone else I prayed for, uh, there was a hip thing that totally went away. Another guy out in the foyer was doing this right here. I said, what's up with that? He said, got my healing. So great, awesome. And yet I pray for my daughter and we're still gonna go through surgery and I've talked about the theology that God heals through doctors, medicine too. You know what? Here's what I know. I, it's not my job to keep score. It's not my job to you know, go, well, this one and that. No, my job is to pray and believe God's word. And then we watch, and then God is among us. Here's what I think. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, I don't know a lot of things. But I know this, that as we respond to God's love, that God makes himself big among us. And here's what I know. I know that his scripture says, and he really has rooted this home this week as I was thinking about this message. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, it's as true today as it was 13 years ago. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. God says to me over and over again, I don't fit well in boxes. Trust me, trust me, and I believe that the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace among us. Thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your compassion. You wept over whole cities. You said, if only there would be leaders who would trust me. And I think you weep over our city. You weep over our country. You weep over our world. And you say, I want to do more. Just trust me. And so today, we trust you. We're gonna respond to you in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.